this message, I believe, is going to uh, uh, show us how to cooperate with God. We have power and authority. It's who we are. But I believe this teaching shows us how to cooperate with laws of the, of the spirit of life. That's the law we're going to be talking about tonight. A spiritual law that never changes. But it only is effective if we cooperate with it. So we're going to look at that. But I want to give you a little preview and review first. So Ken, if you haven't started recording, this is the time to record. I'm doing a mini-series right now about the spiritual laws God has given us these spiritual laws for the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about old covenant law. We have been redeemed from the law. We now are under grace. But there are spiritual laws of the kingdom of God. And these spiritual laws are for our benefit. These spiritual laws have been put in place by our king, King Jesus, for our benefit, so that we can live the abundance of life that he came to provide for us. As for me, my house, that's where I want to live. These, so these spiritual laws are powerful. They are for our fullness of life in the kingdom of God, but not just to live, but also to advance the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God can work through us. It's in us because Christ is in us. But in order for it to come through us, we need to cooperate with these spiritual laws. In the kingdom of God, there are um, three major components. The first one is a king. Our king in the kingdom of God is King Jesus. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our help. We are his subjects. Subjects submit to their king. Subjects are under the, the delegation of their king. We carry his delegated authority and power. We also, as, as his subjects, our part is to be devoted to our king. Our position is to be um, um, in, in a state of allegiance to our king and his kingdom. So a kingdom has a king and subjects, but it also has a government. Jesus is the king of the government of the kingdom of God. And these spiritual laws are all part of the king's government. So we're going to look at laws. We're also going to look at principles, spiritual laws and spiritual principles. The spiritual laws are truths that are eternal. They will always be. They will never change. These spiritual laws govern all of creation. They establish order and a foundation for living within God's kingdom and to be living in the benefits of God's kingdom. Of God's kingdom. The principles of the laws are the, the, um, the wisdom in how those laws work and how we can walk in agreement with them and benefit from them. The laws of the kingdom of God don't control us because he's given us a free will. But with the principles, with the wisdom from above, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we have the potential to use these laws in a very beautiful and powerful way. So last week I kicked off this um, series with two spiritual laws 
The first one was the royal law of love. God says, Jesus said, the apostle said, the Bible says, it teaches us over and over to love God, to love others, to love God as you love yourself, to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mis misspoke that. In another scripture, it says to love others as you are loved by God. The royal law of love, this is, the, this is the, the law, this is the spiritual law. The spiritual law is that when we are born again, the nature of God becomes part of us. God is love. So God's nature of love is literally one with us because God is one with us. But we have a free will. And in order for us to look like we have that love in us, it takes relationship. It takes hearing from the Holy Spirit, being um, in that place of sensitivity to our amazing loving Father and his good purpose for us, whatever that might look like, to be loved, to be the minister of Jesus wherever we go. It's very dependent on relationship. Because we see a lot of men and women who are strong believers or Christians, and yet they don't look like it. They're not looking like they live in the kingdom of God in the area of love because they're, they're, not, they're not adhering to the, they're not cooperating with the law of love. They're not loving very well. Jenny, when you talked about your daughter and, and you saw that, that top 10 reasons why why your daughter loves you. It was all about your love for her. That's what she was seeing in you. So that first law is the royal law of love. The second one is the law of faith, and they go hand in hand because faith works through love. So we talked about the law of faith, and we talked about this amazing gift that God has given us, that when we cooperate with the law of faith, it always results in the manifestation of that which we're believing for. We use the example of salvation. The law of faith says that the word is near us. It's in our heart. It's around us. The, the word of God has been presented to the nations. It started with those 12 apostles and the disciples that were with Jesus when he was walking on this earth when he died, when he was resurrected, they saw him. They knew he was the Messiah and they spread the good news. That good news has spread throughout the world. And we're sitting here right now, 2,020 years later, because that news was spread to us. So the word is around us. The word of, of faith, the word of our salvation, the word about Jesus who died for us, who was resurrected from the dead for us. And the specific gifts of grace, the specific treasures that are part of our salvation, including healing. That word, once it's presented, the next step is for a heart response. And that might not come immediately. You might hear something and it's in your head and it sounds like good news, but you're not sure. Your heart really hasn't received it yet. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, hearing the rhema word of God and your heart responding. So the law of faith, the word is near, your heart responds, and then out of your heart, your mouth speaks. 
I believe, therefore I speak. And when we speak, when we act in faith, that's when we actually take, take the gift, take the grace, take the salvation, take the healing, receive it. In Mark eleven twenty four, it says, when you pray, believe that you have received, and then you will have it. So we receive it before it's actually manifest in our life. Let me say that again. The law of faith receives, and then it's manifest in your life. After you have it, it doesn't take faith. The faith comes to receive it before you've seen it, felt it, known it in the natural realm. That's the law of faith. That brings me to today. We're going to be talking today about two more laws, but they are opposing. The law of sin and death versus the law of the spirit of life. I talked about this scripture a few weeks ago when I taught a message entitled, Delivered. We have been delivered. We have been set free. We completely had been moved out of the law of sin and death. The, the, the law of sin and death has no more power over us, no more dominion over us. We've been set free. We now live under a higher law. But the problem is, we don't look like it. There's so many people that are walking through life not looking like they live under this amazing higher law of the law of spirit and life, of life. And that's why I want to share a truth, kind of a tough love message. I, I'm, I'm just going to say that right up front. It's kind of a tough love message, but it is a powerful truth, and I want to share it. So, before Father, I pray that we look like we're delivered. I pray that we cooperate with the spiritual law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and we stop agreeing with the law of sin and death that we've been set free from, God. So I'm going to read this scripture, the spiritual law, Romans 8, verse 2. I'm going to read it from two translations, first from the Amplified. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has freed me from the law of sin and death. We were transferred from one spiritual law to a higher spiritual law when we were born again. It is the law of our new being. It is our true identity. It is our inheritance. It is our benefit. In Romans 8, 2 from the NLT, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death or the power of sin that leads to the death process or the, the issues of life, the negative things that we see all, all over in the world around us. We've been set free. Why? Because the power of the life-giving spirit in our lives. We have the power and the authority of the spirit of God as our possession the delegated power of Jesus. 
So the old covenant law of sin and death was very real. It was, it held us in tyranny under the power of the enemy. And there was nothing that could be done about it. That's what we were born into. When we were born as infants, until we gave our hearts to Jesus, we lived under the law of sin and death. Our parents were able to have spiritual authority over us if they took it, if they applied it, if they exercised it, until we were at the point of, um, um, what do they count it? Accountability. When we were at the point where we knew right from wrong and we knew what our own choice was, then it was up to us to accept Jesus ourselves. My husband always says this, and it's, it's so true. God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. He, it, it, just because your parents believed and were strong believers doesn't mean you're a believer. It's up to you to give your own heart, your own life, to make the choice to say, Jesus, I need a Savior. I need you. I want you. And when that happens, we're set free. We're no longer under the tyranny of the enemy. We're no longer under the power and the dominion of sin. In fact, can't, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to refer to a scripture we're going to look at in a minute. It's Romans 6.14. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but under grace. So here we are in a world where sin is running rampant. And many of the, 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 the sins that are running rampant are running through Christians. <laughs> Just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't have the potential to sin. So this is where we're going tonight. Because if we're set free, if we have dominion, if we're no longer under the power of sin, why do we see it being so impactful in our world? I'm going to read Romans 6, verse 23. Two parts to the scripture. The first part says, the wages of sin is death. That's the law of sin and death. But that's not where we live anymore. But the free gift of God, that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the law of the spirit of life. The first half is the law of sin and death, but we're no longer there. I love the word but in this. You're going to see three scriptures today I'm reading tonight that all have two parts with the word but in the middle. We live on the other side of the but, on the right side, because we now live under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the overwhelming gift of grace with eternal life. That's where we live. God loved us so much. God loved us so much that he chose to introduce a higher law, a higher power into our situation. And this law, the law of the spirit of life, has the potential to override and supersede the law holding us in dominion to the kingdom of darkness and the power of sin. That law the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus goes into operation in a person's life the moment they accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And through this higher law, the law that supersedes 
the law of sin and death. We, as believers, have the potential, the potential to live with the benefits of salvation, including forgiveness, including abundance of life, including healing and health and a divine life, including power and authority over the works of darkness, including hearing from the Spirit of God and getting wisdom for whatever it is for the situation that we're in or the season that we're in. But it's only a potential, friends, because in order for it to be actual, we need to cooperate with the spiritual laws of the kingdom. I'm going to read Galatians 6, 8 and Romans 8, 13. And I'm only going to read the first half. And then later I will read the second half. But I want to show you, this is written in the New Covenant and what it shows us is that even though we are in a higher, newer, better covenant, we still, with our humanity, with our free will, we can still choose to live under the law of sin and death. So look at this. This is Galatians 6, 8, the first half. For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses, will reap from the flesh, ruin and destruction. The word that I really want to focus on today isn't so much sin, although sin does have consequences in believers' lives as well. But what I really want to focus on is worldliness. Worldliness doesn't just mean um, abomination and immorality and poor ethics, although that is part of worldliness. But worldliness simply means living the way the world lives. Right now, in our world, that looks like a lot of fear, a lot of chaos, a lot of dissension, a lot of arguing. If we sow in such a way that we are agreeing and living like the world, that's what we're doing. And it reaps destruction and ruin. The next verse, Galatians, I'm sorry, Romans 8.13. For if we are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you're going to die. That's the law of sin and death. Now, I'm calling it the process of death. The process of giving in to the enemy's plan. His plan, his purpose, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we're living the way the world lives, that's kind of what we're doing. What does it look like? I'm not going to talk about rampant sin. We know what that looks like. I don't need to describe that to you. But I'm going to talk about those subtle things. What is your thought life? What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? What are you focusing on? Are you feeding your soul with, um, I, I'm, I'm a Facebooker. I, I love Facebook. I love seeing people's families. I love using it as a ministry tool. I am a Facebooker. But we have a choice what we feed on in that stream. What we're allowing to stir up in us. What are we thinking about? What are we focusing on? Like Jenny said, the key, simple key, 
is to look to Jesus instead of looking at everything in the world. So I believe our thought life and the choice to worry, 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 worry is sowing to the flesh. Or sowing, I'm even going to use another word, sowing to the soulish realm. Because we're made of spirit, soul, and body. And if we're allowing our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions to be just immersed or enmeshed with the world, then we're doing this. I don't want to do that. Another um, piece that is very um, common mistake is our words. What are we speaking? Are we speaking the problem? Are we focusing on the problem? Are we um, feeding the problem with our words? And I'm not talking just about um, sickness. I'm talking about, are we just talking about the world and what's going on and the coronavirus and the politics and constantly, like it almost becomes um, caustic, like toxic to your soul when you just talk, 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 talk about it. So those are the kinds of things where we perhaps are sowing to the flesh and don't even realize it. The harvest, the harvest is the death process. The harvest is destruction. The harvest might look like failure, sicknesses, dysfunctional relationships, chronic problems, chronic um, bitterness or anger or uh, something that's under the surface all the time, this feeling of anger or fear that just kind of stays there all the time, oppression. Those kinds of things are symptoms of that death principle working because you've been sowing to the law of sin and death, even though you've been set free from that. The only power the enemy has is the power that we give to him. He doesn't have power because he's been stripped of power. We are no longer under the dominion of sin. But the enemy is a, a, um, um, uh, masquerades as an angel of light. And it might look like something that you need to be paying attention to or that is, you know, something so important. But God says, look up, child. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to read those same two scriptures with the but and with the second half of the scripture. First of all, Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses, will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So instead of sowing to the soul, to the mind, will, and emotions, feeding that part of you or feeding the flesh, God says, feed the spirit. Sow in your heart what is pleasing to the spirit of God and you'll reap everlasting life, eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start after you die. Eternal life is here and now for the believer. We are living in our eternal life. When we go to heaven, we just change homes. But we're still living in our eternal life. The next scripture, which is um, Romans, I'm going to read both halves now. If you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you are going to die. But the life of the Spirit 
puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, and then we taste his abundant life. That word taste means experience. Then we experience the abundant life of God when we allow the life of the Spirit in us. Instead of sowing to the flesh, we sow to the Spirit. That's good news. That's good news. So I'm going to share a, um, a scripture now from the book of Romans chapter 7. And this is a confusing scripture when you read it. Because this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul who had the Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds or, I don't know, but lots of the New Testament, a whole bunch of the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul that traveled on the missionary trips all over the world telling everybody the good news about Jesus. And when we read these words, I know you've all read them probably many times, it's like, how could Paul feel like this? And it's even been taught that this must be the unsaved Paul. This must be the pre-Jesus Paul, because it doesn't make sense that this would be the after-Jesus Paul, the, G the Paul that knew Jesus. But it's written in a present tense. It's risen, written in a, like a, uh, an ongoing tense, like I think it's called present participle. Let me read these scriptures to you, and I'm reading it from the Passion for a specific reason. I'll tell you why in a sec. Hang on, you said? Yeah, I'm going to do first. Okay, thank you, honey. Paul says, I'm a mystery to myself, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And now I realize that it's no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. The reason I picked the Passion Translation is because he talks about who he really is. He says, it's not my true self. It's not the new creation. It's not the spirit man in me who's been set free from the dominion of sin. No, it's this other unwelcome intruder. It's the law of sin and death he's giving into. It's the flesh and the soul, not the spirit part of him, but it's the flesh and the soul, or three-part being. It's the flesh and the soul part. The next verse or the next slide. Can, can you switch it to the next slide, honey? Thank you. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. But I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin. There it is, the law of sin and death. This unwelcome intruder in my humanity. This is the Apostle Paul. And then listen to the next verse. Go ahead and go on to Romans 7.25. He, he asked God, well, what, what am I going to do? I didn't put verse 24 in here. but So what do I do, God? How do I fix this? This is, this is 
it was just breaking his heart. And he said, thanks be to God for my deliverance. Jesus is our deliverance, right? Thanks be to God for my deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, serve the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, there's that worldliness word, my sinful capacity, I serve the law of sin. Listen to the next verse. Chapter 8, verse 1, verse 2. But, therefore, all that stuff, all that stuff, the soul, the flesh, the, the, the law of sin and death, the, my, true, my true identity um, fighting almost with this, this sin intruder. But here's the good news. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. No guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, has set us free from the law of sin and death. That is all. I mean, we, the, the Bible has been divided into chapters and verses, but that's all one piece of scripture. All of that confusion and then Paul's conclusion that says, but I've been delivered. So it doesn't matter. He's given me a new way. Now on your sheet, you'll see, and I've underlined it on this scripture. I've given you the scripture. There are three options. We have three options because we're made of spirit, soul, and body. The first option is with your mind to serve the law of God. That means, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to do this. I'm going to set my goals. I'm going to reach my goals. And in my own strength, I'm going to do this. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've had a goal. We've had a, maybe a sin issue in our life. We've had a weakness or something that we just haven't, for whatever reason, been able to overcome. And we try to do it on our own strength. And we do what Paul did. We fail. Think of dieting. <laughs> That's a good example. You know you're supposed to take care of the temple of your body, right? And you do really well for a while, and then you fall off the bandwagon, you know? And I'm not, that's not, I'm sure it's not, God doesn't consider it sin, but you get the idea. You're trying to do it on your own strength. And then here's the next line, the second option, with my flesh. And this is in the scripture. Can't, could you go back one scripture, honey, or one slide? With my flesh... I serve the law of sin, um, right there, with my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity, I serve the law of sin that leads to the death process, the law of sin and death. And again, your flesh, you, you try on your own to get your flesh to obey you, and you use your willpower, and you say, flesh, stop it. We need to do that more, by the way. We need to speak to our flesh because God says speak to the mountain and the flesh may be your mountain. But the bottom line is we can't do it with your soul and with your flesh because there's a third option. Go to the next slide again, honey. The third option is to walk by the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit instead of the flesh. And then 
And not only then, but we have the, the gift of no condemnation because our spirit has already been perfected. And even if we fall, even if we make mistakes, even if there are issues in our life that, we're, that, that are still issues in our life, there is therefore not, now no condemnation because God sees us through Jesus. All judgment was taken by Jesus. But the reason I'm sharing this is because if we give in to worldliness, if we sow to the soul or to the flesh, we could be not cooperating with the law of the spirit of life and it can hinder our abundance of life. I want you, I want Kent and I to live soaring above the world like an eagle, not looking like the rest of the world. I'm gonna share two stories now where um, I have seen Kent and I, this is, like, this is like a Paul story. This is like chapter seven. We wanted to, but it, it just wasn't working. And until we allowed the Holy Spirit and God to set us free. And we have been delivered. The first example is mine, the second one is Kent's. Um, I'm trying to make a long story short. Uh, one of the, the areas of my life where I knew that I had an area of idolatry, an area where I was giving into the flesh because I wanted to, because I enjoyed it, because I liked it, was drinking wine. I loved my wine. And um, it was definitely, it was an emotional bondage in my life. It wasn't a physical addiction. I know I wasn't addicted to wine. But I knew that it was um, uh, an idolatry. I knew it was out of, I knew it was not good. I didn't just drink wine occasionally. I drank wine every day of my life. At least one glass, usually two, sometimes three. Because I loved it. I loved it. I loved the flavor. I loved how it made me feel. I loved how it relaxed me. I loved my wine. I loved the social aspect of drinking wine. It didn't start that way, it, it, but it grew that way. And that's where I was in my life. And God has spoken to me about it many, many, many times. He clearly convicted me that it was an emotional bondage. He clearly convicted me that I was out of order in that area of my life. And I tried on my own. I would, I would um, you know, give it up for seasons of fast with no problem. I could for a fast, but as soon as that fast was over, boy, oh boy, I had my bottle of wine in the refrigerator. And, but I was doing it on my, in my own willpower and trying to overcome my flesh on my own. And I didn't, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to. And then um, three years ago in September, I applied to Andrew Womack's um, Bible College. And the program is called um, Continuing Education for Ministers. And in that program, in order to be a part of that program, we had to be a credentialed minister. And I didn't have a license. Now, it's so easy to get a license for ministry. You just basically go online and fill out a little thing of paper and give them a few bucks and they send you a license. 
But that's not what I wanted. I wanted, if I'm going to go into a program for ministers, I want the, the, my, my covering, my pastor, my church, my home, to, to see what's in me and to, um, that's where I wanted the license to come from. I didn't want it to come from the internet. So I went to Pastor Richard and I told him this program that I was interested in and that in order to do the program I needed to be a licensed minister. And he said, absolutely, Cindy, no questions asked. We would love to license you as a minister in the Assemblies of God Association or Federation. Um, and um, he says, you're already doing the work of the ministry. You've been doing the healing ministry here at Rochester Church for many years and absolutely. So I got the paperwork. I started to fill out the paperwork. And there was a line on the paperwork <laughs> that said, I pledge not to drink any alcohol. Any. Ever. And, and the reason isn't because alcohol is a sin. That's not the reason. The reason is because I was out of balance. My life was out of balance. And if people are looking to me, that's a hidden thing, right? You guys didn't know that. It was hidden, but it's there. And if you're looking to me as an example, God wants me to be a good example. And that's why that's on that form. So I looked at that and I read it. I didn't sign it right away. I filled it all out, but I didn't sign it right away. <laughs> The day that I signed that, I have never had a glass of wine or a glass of any alcohol since then. But this is what I said, thank you, thank you, God, right? This is what I said, and it was so heartfelt. I went to God, and I said, God, I love you so much, and I will do anything for you. You know that, God, I will do anything for you. And that was, I mean, that was how the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me that help that I needed. And it was easy because I made a commitment and it was me and God. It wasn't me and the, Pastor Richard. It wasn't me and Rochester Christian Church. It was Cindy and God. And I was completely set free with ease. So that's an example of the, the law of sin and death that leads to destruction and the law of spirit of life that puts you in a new place to soar higher above the situation. I don't need to be in the world. I don't, I'm not in the world. I'm above, I'm not, I might live here, but I'm not a member of the world. Here's Kent's example. It's actually Kent's and my example. And um, it has to do with um, his health. So about 10 years ago, Kent was diagnosed with high blood sugar when he had his first knee done, when he had his first knee surgery. That's when we found out he had super, super high blood sugar. We never talked about it. We didn't receive that diagnosis. The doctor's diagnosis was diabetes. We didn't receive it. We said, oh, no, no, no. And then we started going to good um, alternative doctors, and they recommended lots of healthy eating and lots of, um, not medicine, because we didn't want him to be on medicine. But good ways, because your body can completely heal itself. And this is in the natural. This isn't even with God. Your body is created to heal itself. So we, we 
in our own flesh and our own willpower did our best to change our lifestyle and our eating. And so what we would do, uh, I won't go into too much detail because it's long, but we would um, you know, go to the doctor, he would give us some advice, we would go home, we would do it, and it didn't work. We would go back to the doctor, he would give us another level of something to do. We'd go home, we'd do it, and it didn't work. His numbers weren't changing. His blood sugar, and we were, I mean, one thing after another was taken out of his diet until the point where it was like, we're not eating anything good, and it's not working, you know? And, and anyway, it was, it was very frustrating. And what would happen? We would fall off the bandwagon because the numbers weren't changing. We would go back to eating the bread and the cookies and the cakes and, you know, all that stuff and, and all the carbs and all that. Well, then last January or December, Christmas, he had the heart attack, and it was a result of the high blood sugar. I want my husband on this earth for lots and lots of years. And he wants to be on this earth for lots and lots of years. So we completely put aside the flesh. We put aside the willpower. And we said, God, this is all you. We need you. We put together scriptures. We had done it in the past but hadn't stuck with it, you know? Put together scriptures. We started speaking over his body. We started praying a lot differently. And over every meal that we eat, over every meal, over everything that I cook, we speak over it, we pray over it, we speak over his body, we speak over his, his pancreas and his cells and all of that. And this is what happened. We are so enjoying the food that we're eating. Yes, we've completely changed the way we eat, completely. But we're so enjoying it to the point that when we're out of town and we're not able to eat that way, Kim, you know this because you know how happy I was when you made me that meal of vegetables and chicken breasts. It was like, that's what we crave, that's what we want. Beans and greens, <laughs> that's what we love, that's what we eat all the time. And God just changed something in us. And now it's not work. Now it's not trying to conquer our flesh. And my husband is now healed of diabetes. Praise God. Praise God. The last A1C test, he is no longer diabetic. But it was letting God and letting the Holy Spirit lead instead of the law of sin and death and trying to do it all on our own, in our own strength, in our own soul, in our own flesh. It was like, God, it's all you. And you know what? During that whole season, I kept track of his um, sugar levels every day, and they didn't look perfect. We, instead of looking at that and getting frustrated, we said, God, we just trust you. God, we just trust you. He would have high numbers. He'd have some good numbers. Then they'd be high again, and it didn't matter what he ate. Those numbers were all over the place. But we said, God, we trust you. And when he went in, that A1C was no longer diabetic. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. This is where it gets really interesting. We're going to look right now at the natural laws and the spiritual laws. We're going to look at the natural law of gravity and the natural law of aerodynamics. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. We're going to go a little bit deeper, a little bit higher today. And we're going to compare the natural law of gravity to the law of sin and death. We're going to compare the higher law of aerodynamics 
to the higher spiritual law of the law of the spirit of life. Now, first of all, gravity. We're all born into the law of gravity. It's always working. Whether you are thinking about it or not, it's still working. Um, we're sitting here on the floor. We're not floating around. We're not thinking about gravity. But gravity is still working. Yet, while we're sitting here right now at this very moment, 35,000 feet above us, jets are flying over, filled with hundreds of people and thousands and thousands of pounds of luggage. The law of aerodynamics is based on thrust. We're going to talk about thrust in a minute. It's based on thrust, and it supersedes the law of gravity. Gravity hasn't stopped working. Gravity's still there. But the law of aerodynamics with thrust has put it over so that that jet can fly. Now, if something happened to that jet and it lost its thrust, it would lose its altitude and it may even crash. It needs the thrust for aerodynamics to supersede the law of gravity. So now let's look at our laws. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I'm in him. He's in me. I'm a newborn daughter of God. The law of the spirit of life has set me free. That means it causes us to rise above, to supersede the law of sin and death. But we need thrust. Because in our humanity, that darn sin intruder, that darn worldliness, the stuff that's going on in the world can keep us under. We need thrust. And the thrust in the law of spirit of life is our pure heart faith. And that pure heart faith needs fuel. It needs powerful fuel. The fuel is the word of God. The fuel is a heart responding to the word of God. The fuel is a heart that is so filled with that word of God that it comes out of our mouth, that we speak it, that we act it. That is the fuel. That is the thrust that, that gives us the faith to supersede and to soar like those eagles that we read about in Isaiah 40 over the situations of our life. But all of that is not possible on your own strength, trying to do it, trying to be a superhero of faith. That only comes through relationship, through looking up. Look up, child. Let me be your daddy. Come to me. Relationship. Coming into that place of, of worship. Because he inhabits our praises. He inhabits our worship. Coming someplace like this, where you're surrounded with believers who agree with you, who love you with God's love, who pray for you with hands that carry the authority and the power of Jesus. 
Relationship. It's all about relationship. Knowing that there's no condemnation. And you can go directly into your daddy's throne room, sit on his lap, kneel at his feet, tell him your, your, the cries of your heart. Let him speak to you. Let him tell you you're a good mama. Even when you're questioning how your children are responding to you. It comes through relationship. Relationship is where we get the fuel for our faith, which is the thrust for us to rise above worldliness and the way the world does things. So I want to paint two pictures for you, and these are really sad. These are really sad. The first one is that there are so many Christians who have been transferred out of the law of sin and death. They are no longer under the dominion or the power of sin. So they have been set free, according to Romans 8.2. So they're in the plane, but the plane is never taken off. They're sitting on the ground. They're not soaring above because they don't have relationship. Because they're not feeding their heart with the word of God. They don't have the living word giving them the benefits of grace and letting it unfold in their lives. So they're nominal Christians. They are, they're, they've got a name Christian. They pray to prayer of salvation. They maybe go to church every Sunday. But there's no relationship. So they're, they're not soaring. They're on the ground. That's so sad. And here's another um, example that's also very sad. Maybe they have soared. Maybe the person is a strong believing believer and they've, they've been in relationship with their father. They've seen the power of God in their lives. That's me, right? I've seen the power of God in my life. I've received miraculous healing. I am gifted to be able to share good news all over the place. So I've seen the power of God. So I have the potential to be in that airplane soaring. But what if something happens? Pain, disease. Dorothy, you're in that right now. You just got a, a terrible report. Your daughter just got a terrible report. So you were soaring high, and all of a sudden there's this report. So... We have a choice. Do we give in to fear, to um, the, the power of the enemy, to worrying, to putting our focus on research, on what do I do next? My attention has to be here instead of here. And if your focus changes, if you're not looking up, but you're looking at the world, you're looking at the situation, you lose altitude. Instead of soaring above, you lose altitude. And if you continue to focus on the problem, it's the law of sin and death. Anything not of faith is sin. Worry, meditating on the problem, talking the problem constantly. The Bible says anything not of faith is sin. The law of sin and death. And you may not only lose altitude, it's, you have a potential to crash. 
Like I said, this is a really difficult message to share, but I think it's so important to feed and fuel our heart so we have thrust to rise above and not to be beneath. So I got two beautiful scriptures to build you up and then we're gonna pray. These are also from the Apostle Paul. I believe this is his conclusion. This is a really good conclusion to that whole conflict of the intruder of sin and of his true identity and of the soul and the flesh and the law of the spirit of life, all of that conflict. My chat is calling me. I love you, buddy. I'll call you later. Listen to this. Oops, I just answered it by mistake. <laughs> I just hung up on him. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? That's the sin identity. That's the sin nature. It's been deprived of its power. For we were co-crucified with Jesus to dismantle the stronghold of sin, worldliness, flesh, soulishness within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. That's where I want to be. Sorry, I just did it again. So. Go to the next scripture, honey. Good news here. My old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. It's dead. That old sin nature, it's dead. It's no longer who I am. The weakness, the, the idolatry, it's dead. It's not in me anymore. It's not in you anymore. For the nails of Jesus' cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. Because I live in union with Christ. Um, I'm paraphrasing now. Um, and the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. That's the law of the spirit of life. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. That's the thrust. My new life, that's my words, that's not the scripture. I, I meant to put it in a different font or something. That parentheses, that's my words. The new life that I live is empowered by my faith in the Son of God or by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. We have the thrust through him. It's his faith in us that builds us up. That's good news. Amen. So we have the potential. The potential is ours. My prayer is that it becomes actual. My prayer for me, for Kent, and for all of you is that it becomes actual and that we start soaring. I speak. I prophesy over you right now. I prophesy over you. L Linda, Lori, what's your name again? Lisa. Lisa. I had the L. Lisa, I prophesy over you. I declare that you soar above the problems in your life. You soar above pain. You soar above doctor's diagnoses. You soar above with an exuberant um, joy, an exuberant expectation of good. I declare it. I prophesy it over you. Jared, I prophesy that over you in Jesus' name.
I prophesy over you that there is a new strength, not you, not on your own willpower, not in your own emotions, not in your own flesh making it happen, but in the spirit of life that you are united with. You are united with Jesus himself. And I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that you rise up. He's saying, rise up, son. Rise up and let me be the wind beneath your wings. He wants you to be above, not beneath, soaring above the situations of life. I can't even tell you how my heart is stirred when I speak over you or pray over you. This young man is my prayer partner's son. So we pray for our children every day. And, um, and, and there, there's just a, a, a connection, a prayer connection. And I don't mean to single you out, but oh my goodness, God is just speaking over you right now. So in Jesus' name, you are an eagle. You are an eagle in Jesus' name. So I prophesy over everyone. That's for, that word is for all of us. Julia, for you, in this season of your life, She's a newly married, beautiful woman with a husband in the uh, military. I speak that over you right now. That you and your husband soar in this season of your life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your will. Thank you for the truth, God, that we are delivered. Jesus, you are our deliverance. You have destroyed the power of death. You have destroyed the power of sin over us. You have destroyed the dominion of darkness. And I pray that each one of us takes a stand to say no to the flesh, to say no to the soul, and to say yes to the spirit and to allow the power of our life union with Christ to lift us up high above all evil, all worldliness, all chaos, all evil, all pain, all sickness, and cause us to live the radiant, amazing, beautiful, abundant life, Jesus, that you came to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yay, God. Yay, God. I suggest that you take these notes home and you feed your heart. This is too easy to be in the plane on the ground. Or it's too easy in our humanity to start to lose altitude. So, uh, and this is, I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to me too. I just suggest you take these and read these and meditate and go to God and journal and, and love on him. Because what are you doing? You are sowing into the spirit instead of the, the spirit of sin and death. You are sowing into the spirit of life. Yeah, God is good. Amen.